welcome to the Rock Music Alliance interview sessions. I am your host, Cole Coleman. On the show today, you know his guitar playing from Metal Church, Lizzie Borden, of Gods and Monsters, and many more. When we come back, I'll be speaking with Ira Black. Attention guitar players, join the Thimble Slide Revolution and free your slide finger. With its patented shape, you can slide and fret while wearing the Thimble Slide. Visit thimbleslide.com. That's thimbleslide.com. We're back, and Claudio Pesavento from Mahogany Rush and Chris Squire Band is here hanging out today, and we're speaking with Ira Black. Ira, you are a very busy musician, well-known for your work with Metal Church, Vicious Rumors, Lizzie Borden, Gods and Monsters, Dark Sky Choir, and more. Uh, what is the latest happenings from the world of Ira Black, and which bands are you currently active with? Oh, man. Well, hey, it's uh, good to be on here with you guys, first and foremost. It's a privilege and an honor, and I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, you know, whew. let's see, I received a guitar 40 years ago tomorrow. On my 50th birthday is tomorrow, so I, when I was 10. So, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I know you guys have been playing a long time, too, you know, and this is uh, something that's just, you know, it's not something I do. This is what I am, you know. It's, it's become just, you know, pretty much permeates every part of my life. So, uh, yes, I'm always busy, and I'm thankful for that. Um, I've always had a good way about just keeping going, you know, so that, that's uh, – there's an art to that for sure. And, uh, you know, currently I'm uh, – we can start where I'm at now for sure, because that's, I'm excited about it and stuff. So I got this uh, new band of gods and monsters. Um, it's been around a little while for maybe two years ish or something approximately. And, uh, the, the guy that started the band, Kevin Goocher, a former singer of Omen, you know, uh, we've been friends over the years and stuff. He's come see me play with Lizzie Borden and stuff. And he called me up and, and asked me if I want to be a part of it. Um, I had submitted some songs for his first record. It ended up not working out. It's no big deal, though. You know, it happens sometimes. You know, as you know, as musicians, you pass your songs around sometimes. And But uh, in the back of his mind, he's like, wow, I really like what I was doing. But he had Joey Taffola playing with him at the time. So, you know, that was his thing. And when Joey left, I was the first person he called. He's like, if I can get Ira in there, you know. So, so I was happy about that because, you know, after the pandemic and stuff or, you know, during the lockdown and all this stuff, you know, it kind of slowed music down as we all know. I mean, you know, the music business has been hit so hard. That's like the last thing, everything everyone's going to, it's like restaurants and jobs and all that's first. And then music starts to be, you know, for some yeah. reason it's, it's last on the list, you know, I know, I know entertainment bars and the pubs. I mean, it's, it's the very last, you know, and yet it's, it's also, you know, one of the most important things to keep your spirit high. Totally. Totally. So uh, D D Dean Castronovo and uh, and uh, Tim Gaines from Striper were playing in the band. They just left the band. They all kind of left the band around the same time, you know, and uh, Kevin said, well, the, the band's kind of <laughs> dismantled. So I'm just kind of starting from scratch. But you're the first person I thought of. And I said, yeah, let's do it, you know, because uh, uh, Dark Sky Choir had folded for, you know, other reasons that we don't need to go into right now. But, you know, they decided to call it quits for some reason. And uh, I was just kind of, you know, working on music on my own, you know, in my home studio. And uh, so it couldn't come at a better time. And he's like, hey, uh, you know, you know, any drummers, bass players? And first person that came to mind, I thought, hey, Simon Wright, he's a great, great drummer, a great friend of mine. I played with him in Hellion and I thought he would fit this perfectly. And it worked out. I contacted him. He said yes. And uh, 
it actually turned out that he had played on one song of the first of Gods and Monsters record, which I didn't know at the time. I kind of find that out, found that out later. So Kevin already knew him and already had an affiliation with the band, but you know, just as a guest, but now he's in the band. And of course, who's a logical person to get after that Bjorn England, because, you know, he plays with Simon and Dio disciples and Dio returns. And he's a, <laughs> another great old friend of mine. I've known for 20 plus years. And, you know, so it, it just made sense. You know, it's like, let's build a heavy metal band. And that's like the perfect heavy metal lineup right there, you know? So, well, so, so Ira, has this been going on this past year during, during the pandemic? Yeah. He, he called me, I'm guessing in uh, October or November, I think it was. And uh, so it was, it was the end of the year and uh, he, he was uh, busy doing some stuff on the East coast for about a month or something. So we didn't jump right into it. He just kind of, you know, got the ball rolling by asking me. So, so I started sending him songs and, and it was great because every song I sent him, he's like, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm like, you know what? We're on to something good here because not that I don't mind opposition or someone saying, well, I like that one better than that one. But you know, it's like when you're working in a band, man, if there's a positive flow right from the beginning, you're like, Hey, this is good. You know, cause you know, we've all been in many bands. You know, you can see signs that the more bands you've been in, you see the signs right away. You join a band and they're like, uh, there's already a problem. You're like, Oh no, here we go. You know? So yeah, so Kevin loved every song I sent him. We used the first 10 songs I sent him, you know? So it was like, wow. Okay. This is, I like this, you know? So yeah, I'm about halfway done uh, recording the guitars on the songs the drums are finished. Uh, I demoed out all the songs in the beginning, but I'm, you know, redoing everything to make sure it's, you know, exactly how I want it. And then Bjorn will do his parts and then vocals. So, you know, we're, we're hoping to have it out in a couple of months. So that sounds great. Do already two shows booked in July 9th and 10th, I believe in, uh, one's in Philadelphia and one's at, uh, the chance theater in Poughkeepsie. Oh, that's excellent. So it sounds like the, like the pandemic really hasn't slowed Ira down at all. No, you know, as I was talking to you before we went live, um, you know, I was saying I have the, these levels of to-do lists. That's how it feels in my life. You know, it's like I kind of calculated it as five levels in my mind. You know, it's like five is the the dreams and the goal, like the ultimate things you want to do in life that you definitely can't do today because you got to work up to them, you know. But uh, for me, you know, uh, this was a nice actually, you know, you know, Sorry about all the devastation or, you know, any of the bad things happen to people. But for me, it was nice to be able to step back from a busy schedule. that was so demanding all the time and actually regroup myself because I, I got to tackle some of those other to-do lists in my life that had gone to the wayside over the years. You know, number one, building my uh, own home recording studio and getting some of the songs out of my mind, you know. So I, I think I have, uh, last I looked, uh, like 230 sessions that I've done since the pandemic. So you know, yeah, it's pouring out. I'm literally daily just writing and recording and mixing and all that. So that's great. Now, uh, you mentioned your studio. I was going to ask, do you do any session work from home for other people or is it just all about the bands? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do it all. You know, I mean, what I've really got down during this time frame is mixing and mastering. That, that's something that was a, a, an extreme goal of mine that I've been, uh, you know, have sought after for a long time. I've dabbled in recording stuff for a long time, but, uh, I really wanted to, uh, as they say, crack the code, you know, and learning how to really get into it. You guys know, cause when you record music, 
you know, and then you hand it off to someone else to, you know, and you get it back and you have 20 changes you want to make. And then it sounds different, you know, and you're like, man, how, how can I, you know, get that sound I have in my head, you know, really and get it translated properly. So, you know, the best ways to do it, to do it yourself, you know, I mean, what, what, what can I say about that? You know, so I've tackled that and I'm like, I'm like right there. I'm like at 98%. I feel like I have a good handle on how to do this now. A lot of my preconceptions have been shattered from spending day in, day out. You know, it's, I used to think that there's one right way to mix everything. And what I'm realizing is like, no, it's like, you know, someone says, Hey, can you turn the guitar up? Can you turn the bass up a little bit? Well, yeah. Okay. You turn the fader up and then it ruins the mix. You know, you're like, no, there's other ways to make things come through on a mix. And that was a big realization I had to come to, you know, it's all about balancing and juggling sound frequencies and figuring out how to make them sit together, you know, and, and there's also mixing like different, different genres of music also have customary mixings, you know, so there's, you know, the, the singer songwriter mix, you know, the country mix, the rock mix, you know, everyone has their own perceptions about it, you know, and also a, a big realization. I love to put this out because I think it's interesting. It's like, you know, I used to think, well, you, you have to hear everything in the mix. And what I'm realizing is sometimes things can just be like an implied sound. Like you don't always want to hear the bass. Sometimes you should just be feeling the bass. You know, someone said, Hey, turn up the bass. You know, like, I, I go, hold on a second. I say, listen to this mix. And then I, they're like, well, I can't hear the bass. And then, and then you turn the bass off and all of a sudden they're like, Oh my God, that's what the bass was doing. I didn't realize it was filling up that space you know, that you don't necessarily hear it, but it's like, it's cre- helping to create this sound, you know? So yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Hey, hey Claudio, you do any mastering at your studio? Yeah. I've been doing the mastering for Sweet and uh, other bands that you don't know. They're like a new bands are coming out. So some has been tough because you know, you have to correct stuff, you know, that sometimes in the mix that you cannot correct. Yeah. So I want to be able to do that. You know, it's like, a, it took me a long time, but yes, I'm doing mastering and mixing at the same time, actually. Yeah, you, you have a lot of tools and you can do a lot of things with it, but you hit a certain point where you're like, sometimes just say, hey, you know what? Go back and change this in the mix because yeah. that's kind of outside the lines what I can do. Yeah. You know, do you mess with uh, the isotope ozone I uh, do. programs? I do. They have that one. It's called Rebalance. It's really cool. You know, you can literally turn the drums up, the vocals. Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, and then, that. That's interesting. But, you know, when you get into that, you're kind of like, mm, you know, you don't want to, I never want to do that too much. It's like, well, make it sound good. You know, make the volumes where you want the mix first, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. The mix, you know, had to be a good mix, obviously. I mean. It makes it easier for you, but you can fix stuff. Actually, I was surprised that I was be able to fix a lot of stuff, you know. Totally. It takes more work, but you know, they're as long as they're they're happy about it, you know. <laughs> I mean, I said, You like it? Said, yeah, sure. We'll we love it. And I said, Wow. I was totally. surprised because you know, sometimes you know you don't know what to expect, you know. But yeah, they say they play they play the, the songs on, on the car. On the whatever they get the headphones, the car, the blue everywhere, you know, they go to different places to play, and everything sounded great, so that's good. Something I've been experimenting with, uh, you know, just because it, this is all so interesting to me, delving into this, uh, I, I'm getting this thing that I call, you know, secret sounds or secret mixing. You know, it's like 
you might put the song on in your car and the bass has this nice sub sound to it and it's filling up, but then you put in the AirPods or earphones and there's no bass. Maybe you have to push the headphones in a little bit. You know that trick to hear the bass a little more. But uh, so what I'm doing is like, I'll take a bass track and I'll make a, a MIDI track out of the wave file. I'll make a MIDI track and then I'll add some synth bass tones in the underlying thing. And I'll find out, find ones that, will come through on, on a headphone mix, but you might not really actually hear it in the car. Yeah. You know, like these hidden sounds that you're going to yeah. hear in places yeah. and a little bit of uh, gain or distortion, saturation, and yeah. then you're going to hear bass more on, you know, uh, on the headphones. Yeah. So, you know, it's a little tricks, but, you know, if you're going to do this for a client, well, all of a sudden you're spending a lot of time, you know, all of a sudden you're, you know, I'll mix your song for $200. You know, you're like, man, I put a thousand dollars worth of time into this, you know, it's yeah. like, how deep you want to get into it? Too, it happens right? a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's a hard thing to do is is gauge your skills by the hour you're doing. Like you know, like like you could put in a thousand dollars worth of your time and effort on this song, but they're only paying you two or three hundred bucks. So what do you do? You know, it's it's a hard thing. Totally, but, and it takes time. You know, and and hopefully you're you know fast enough at what you're doing to you know make that make sense somewhere along the way. You find that line, like you know, like you have to be really good at hearing what you're doing and knowing how to get that sound. So you're not spending so much time, but you know, you know, I mean, I forget who said, I saw something recently said, uh, well, a mix is never done. You have to just find that line where you're willing to accept that you're, you know, you can let it go out like that. Cause I mean, you'll, you'll go and listen to it a week later and be like, Oh my God, that sounds terrible. You go and remix it again, you know? And <laughs> yeah, I've heard that phrase really all my life from people. Yeah. The mix really is never done. Yeah. Hey, so uh, since you're into production as well, uh, do you play any other instruments besides guitar? Well, yeah, man, that's a large question. Um, with the long answer, I'll make it a short scan. I do play a lot of instruments. You know, I dabble in different things. You know, I can play drums a little bit enough to record with. I have a drum set uh, set up in my studio, mic'd up and stuff. Uh, you know, I like programming drums as well. That can be good for writing and makes it a little bit quicker and easier. Um, you know, I dabble in bass You know, I have a, a fretless acoustic bass. I have, you know, some regular electric basses. So I like to dabble in different things. Um, you know, I wouldn't even dare say I play keyboards with, with Claudio in the room because he actually plays, but you know, as a producer and a songwriter, I dabble a little bit, but you know, I'm not going to go and sit there and play it live, but, uh, to, to get the job done. Now I like messing around with different things. Um, I just, um, well, uh, Claudio knows Don Dawkin. You know, I played in Dawkin for a little while. I was uh, over at Don's house and he had this instrument sitting there. I'm like, what's that? And he's like, oh, I got that in India. Uh, God, what's the name of that thing? I'll think of it in a second. It's an Indian instrument that pre was a precursor to the violin. Okay, yeah, yeah, I think I know the one you're talking about. I don't know the name, but I can picture it. Oh, it's a tip of my tongue. But anyways, uh, he gave me this thing, so I started messing around with it. And I wouldn't say I'm an expert on it, but I've recorded with it. And, you know, so I, I like experimenting with sounds, uh, you know, percussion and stuff too. Uh, when I first set up my studio, I started actually doing some cool stuff where I was bringing in household stuff like a pot and a pan and literally the, the pepper shaker, uh, you know, or, you know, pepper uh, grinder and yeah. using it, you know, just, I thought that was funny, you know, cause I had all these weird sounds in there, you know, it was just kind of a, a fun thing to experiment with. So I was talking to a producer once about some tracks and I was asking, how did you get this particular sound? It's a percussive sound at this at this moment, and and he goes, 
it's just me on the microphone going boom, boom. And I, was, I just laughed like, no way, you know? Totally. No, I, I'm totally into that. There's a lot of cool uh, programs you can mess with too. And th- this is what kind of led me into this. Uh, you know, I, I have a friend of mine who unfortunately passed away last year, but, uh, you know, he was a great producer, Augustus Crines, and one of my best friends. And, uh, you know, it's pretty devastating when he passed, you know, but uh, he was very inspirational to me. He went to the Recording Academy. He was one of the fastest and best engineers I ever met, but he was also a great songwriter and very creative on the spot. Like, he's a guy that I, I've always been like that, too, but he was, like, on fire. Thing. He was living in a studio for about seven years. So that's all he did every day, all day. Like just, he, he could sit down, write a song and just crank it out. So he had a lot of clients coming in and he would help them write songs like that on the spot. And uh, about two years ago, well, let's see, two and a half, three years ago now, when we first started, we, we embarked on this uh, different thing for both of us. Uh, he had dabbled in a lot of different styles of music, but we decided we we're going to do like a pop, hip hop style record. Now we're both really known as metal guys, right? So, so this is bizarre. Like we're like we're gonna sing and we're gonna rap. We're gonna write all the music, and this was like a bizarre concept for us because in the beginning we just were kind of joking about it and thought this is silly, but then we started to take it serious. So we uh, wrote and recorded somewhere around a hundred songs in a period of a year. So tell me we didn't get into it. All of a sudden we we got this really cool flow going. So what I, what I enjoyed about it was is that I really started to experiment and get really be able to um, express myself in different ways that I can't just do with guitar, you know? It's like, especially when you're singing and stuff, wow, you know, I mean, singers get to actually, you know, really truly express, you know, like, you know, our feelings because that's what taps into who we are as people, how we talk, how we speak, you know, that's how we convey a lot of stuff. You know, music's kind of like a hidden meaning, in a way, but with your voice, you can literally say exactly what you want, or you can, you know, say it in a pun or a sarcasm or all these different ways, anger, if you want. Wow. So, so we started doing a lot of trippy things for our voice. I started experimenting. Like Claudia's always, you know, every time I'm saying, oh, your voice sounds better. It's like, I've been actually working my voice. You know, maybe it's been a therapy for me as well, but, uh, you know, there's a program called Ovox by Waves. You know that one? So you said your friend was doing sounds with his voice. Ovox, you can do a whole song with your voice and make it sound like any instrument. It's a wow. lot of fun. Now, you know, a lot of musicians might look down on it, but for me, I just use it as a tool. It's fun. It's cool for creativity. I don't use it as a crutch. I don't say, well, I don't know how to play bass. I'll do the bass line with my mouth, but I might do it with my mouth just because it sounds interesting and different. You know, it's like, Exactly. It's like whatever tool it takes to get the music out is is the one you go for, you know. And 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 if, if you're in the music business and producing for the length of time, I mean, you get to a point where you really do want to try different things. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you got to keep the uh, the excitement level up in the studio. You know, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, it gets boring. You know, you you want new things and stuff. But uh, to to make uh, the wrap up that story, that project is called Black Manson that I had going with Gus. We put out a record. Uh, on September 11th, 2020. And, uh, you know, even though he's passed away, I'm going to keep going with the project. We'd recorded so many songs. Some, some are finished, some aren't. You know, I'm going to continue to, we have a Facebook page. It's BLK for Black and then M-A-N-S-N for Manson, Black Manson. And uh, it's an interesting concept and the songs were cool. And I'm going to continue, you know, putting stuff out. And, you know, so that, that's just, you know, 
a side project at this point. You know, I'm, I'm obviously continuing on with, uh, with my metal stuff. And on that note, I'm also doing a lot of singing on a lot of metal songs. So this year, I'm going to put out a record with me singing on it. That's, you know, I'm playing all the guitars and, and I'm singing on it too. It's a, it'll be a metal record. Terrific, man. Hold that thought for a sec. And we're going to take a short pause here and do a little business for the RMA. We'll be right back. It's time that rock music has its own awards, the RMA Awards, its own scholarships, charity events, and more. And only you can make it happen by joining the Rock Music Alliance and voting in the RMA Awards. You can join as either a musician, an industry professional, or if you just love rock music, you can join as a patron of rock. Everyone can join, and everyone gets to vote. Join the Rock Music Alliance. Go to rockmusicalliance.com. That's rockmusicalliance.com. This is Bjorn Englund. You need to join the Rock Music Alliance. And we're back with Ira Black. Ira, you were just talking about doing more singing. Uh, yeah, is that something you're working on now, or is that something for next year? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm hoping to, uh, it, because it's a new, you know, singing in a metal band or in a metal project is totally a new thing for me. I did dabble in it and try it in, in the late 90s, and I just said, you know, that's too much work. You know, it's like to play guitar and sing live. I did a few shows, and I'm like, that's, wow, it's a lot of responsibility. But, uh, you know, I'm ready to take it on now. So I, it's hard for me to find a deadline on it because I'm just searching and really finding my way with it, you know. But uh, I'm definitely on to something. I probably have about mm, seven or eight songs already tracked with vocals on it. And I'm, I love them all. I'm like, these are all the, the stuff I'm going to release for sure. In reproducing that live, would you consider having a backup guitar player? Yeah, yeah, d- d- definitely for sure wow. because... Uh, yeah. He sound plays guitar, I think. What's that? Your son plays guitar, right? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, you know how it is when you have kids. I, I ask them questions all the time one day. You know, I probably ask my son at least 10 times. I'm like, so if I'm actually going to go out and sing and do this live, you're going to be my, my other guitar players? Like, yeah, yeah. Let me know. <laughs> hey, so Ira, take us back in time now uh, to your beginnings. Uh, what or who inspired you to become a guitar player and how old were you? Well, uh, let's see. That goes back, you know, to my family. Um, Like I said uh, earlier to you guys, you know, I got a guitar for my 10th birthday and I'll be 50 tomorrow. So I've been playing 40 years officially. See, my my, uh, mom was married three times and all three husbands uh, are musicians. So my my biological father was a, a blues guitar player playing in the live music scene before I was born in Sacramento. Matter of fact, a couple of years ago, he, well, he, he passed away over 10 years ago now, uh, unfortunately, but, uh, he received a, a posthumous, uh, award, uh, for the Sacramento Blues Society. So he's in the black, he, he's been in, uh, inducted into the Sacramento Blues Society Foundation, uh, you know, hall. And, uh, so I went and received that award for him. So, so it was, you know, in the beginning years of my life, I was around it. My father used to take me to his bar gigs and, uh, hall gigs that he would do. You know, I remember being two years old, two years old at his shows. So this was destiny. I mean, this was like meant to happen, you know, it was already there. So I originally wanted to be a drummer because, you know, I think a lot of babies and a lot of kids, they see a drummer, you know, like I want to hit things, you know? So 
I wanted to be a drummer. And uh, my my mother's uh, third husband, he goes by the name Papa Joe DeMeo. He uh, plays acoustic guitar and writes songs and stuff. So we, we had a couple of guitars around the house. And uh, I think, you know, it was leading up to my 10th birthday when I was nine, the guitar was sitting there one day. And I said, I picked it up, so I noodled around with it. And he's like, want me to show you something? I'm like, yeah. So he, he taught me uh, the little blues, you know, dun, 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 and he showed it to me and I picked it up and I played it right away. And he was like, Whoa, okay. Like, you know, he didn't have to like keep showing it to me. Like he showed me and then I played it and he was like, Whoa, it looks like, you know, you, you got a natural uh, feeling for this. So that's what got me started. You know, so my biological father was already a musician playing out live. So I was around it. And then, uh, you know, I, I guess I always thank them, but I should thank my mother too as well, because, Hey, you know, she, uh, you know, that's who she chose in her life, you know, to, you know, when she married uh, my father and her, and her third husband uh, played guitar, you know, so that, you know, like somehow her life choices led to some of the stuff that I ended up doing in my life. So clearly it's, it's uh, uh, music is just in your genes, you know, whether, whether it's your mom being around the music scene or uh, your biological father or all the fathers that, that have raised you. It's just, I mean, clearly music is just all around you all the time. That's terrific, man. Yeah. Hey, I understand you, you said you're from Sacramento. Uh, what town around Sacramento? Oh my God. I, I lived in so many places. It, it's unbelievable. But when I was born, uh, my my mom and father were living in uh, the area of Rio Linda, and uh, actually, there my father was in a band called the Sunland Blues Band back then because there was a liquor store on the corner from the rehearsal studio where they rehearsed on the second floor. It was called Sunland Liquors, okay, and they ended up leaving that place eventually, and then my mom and father ended up moving into that place and living there. And the nickname of the place was called The Pit. That was the rehearsal studio name. So the first place I lived in when I was born was a rehearsal studio <laughs> known as The Pit. And they ended up living there. And the Sunland Blues Band, you know, had their early beginnings there. It, it has a little bit of a legendary thing going on in Sacramento about it. You know, Nate Shiner was in the band and a bunch of other people became, you know, known blues artists and stuff. And yes, yeah, so once again, your entire life is being constantly influenced. You know, it was destiny, Ira. That's all there is, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 when I look at it, sometimes it sounds like something out of a movie. Uh, I, I had heard this story growing up. And then uh, some years back, uh, uh, Nate Shiner started a Sunland Blues Band page. And there was a picture that he had of the place where I lived when I was born, it used to be the rehearsal studio was the cover photo of the Facebook page. And I just happened to come by it somehow. And all of a sudden I'm like, this is bizarre. Like the place where I was, where I live when I was born is like the cover picture of the Sunland blues band page where they used to rehearse. I'm like, I'm like that, that is crazy. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's pretty cool. You know? Hey, so, uh, uh, through your teens and early twenties, you know, were you doing cover bands or local original bands or both? Well, I, I, uh, I mean, literally within days of picking up the guitar, I started writing my own stuff, like little melodies and stuff. Like I, I started experimenting right out of the gate. I mean, I really took to it. I really loved it. It, it was something that, that I just, you know, it's almost like when a kid gets a toy or a video game and he gets really good at it. You know, it's like I got the guitar and that was what it was for me. I just started noodling around nonstop and writing all these little things. I still remember some of the things that I wrote to this day. 
in the in the beginning first literally week of playing so that that's what set me forward i think is i was never a cover guy i would every once in a while learn riffs you know like if i like black sabbath or twisted sister or something you know like iron man i love that so i learned the beginning of it i would never really learn entire songs that just never happened for a long time i was always too busy writing my own stuff it would become such a part of me i was more interested in doing my own thing with it you know and uh so i i had original bands my first band uh what I call my first band, because it's where I play my first show, is a band that I started called Arcane, A-R-C-A-N-E, with some high school buddies. And we didn't have, my first show was uh, playing in uh, Lake County at the Lake County Fairgrounds at the fair. We opened up for Tommy Two-Tone when I was 17. I was still in high school. And, uh, you know, so that was my first show. It was an all-original band. We didn't have any covers. And uh, that, that's kind of what started me, you know, and very rarely did I do covers. I mean, honestly, I only, most of the time I'd play covers if the band I was playing in had a cover. Like Metal Church, when I was in Metal Church, we did a Highway Star by Deep Purple. So, I, you know, but I wasn't really a cover guy. That was not my thing for a long time. And not until we started doing Ultimate Jam Night, as I'm sure, you know, Claudio's played it, and I'm sure you know about it at the Whiskey and stuff. Did You know, we, we did Ultimate Jam Night before lockdown uh, for about five years. Played it weekly. As you know, my my wife, Jessica Chase, she uh, um, is one of the producers and, and promoters of the show and stuff. And not till we started doing that did I take doing covers serious. I mean, we're, we're doing it weekly. We're taking it on. And we're like, you know, like really, you know, getting serious about it. Like, we better recreate this in a way that where people are convinced that, you know, this is some real stuff, you know, so. Well, you know, with a player like you who already has a great career, and you know, doing lots of original music, uh, playing covers, you know, c- would be kind of like a recreation, you know, should, should be a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I learned a lot from doing it as well. I did have a, a pretty deep realization at one point, I'm like I, I should have probably delved into covers a little bit earlier, but for, for me in the early days, I think for me, because I wanted to do my own music, and I was so adamant about having my own band or my own music is that, covers to me felt like that was a back step in a way just in my mind that's how i used to look at it back then i'm like well doing covers if i'm in a cover band that's kind of like i'm giving up on myself kind of feeling you know no i i totally i totally understand that there's a lot of great special awesome songs out there and when you learn how to play some of these songs you you learn from them you know this is going to school this is like you know you play a deep purple song and really get into it delve into it and I think my first experience of the feeling of covers, you know, which I thought was interesting is when I started to join bands that I grew up listening to, because that was almost like being in a cover band because I'm learning songs, other people's songs. But it was, you know, when I joined Dawkins for a little bit, you know, it's like all these songs I grew up listening to. Oh, my God. You know, it's like now I'm getting inside of them like I never have before, you know. So, Ira, what's the moment when you cross over into the professional artist world? And, and how did that happen? What what band uh, were you in at that time? Or what band were you getting into at that time? Well, let's see. I was living in Sacramento at the time, and I was uh, had played in a handful of local bands that were, you know, had climbed up over, over a little bit of time. And then uh, I ended up getting the opportunity to join the band, the thrash metal band Heathen. And they, they lived in San Francisco. Uh, they were uh, signed to Roadrunner Records at the time. And uh, 
they invited me to their rehearsal. I knew the drummer. He lived in Sacramento, Darren. And uh, I drove with him, and I thought he just wanted me to go along with him for the ride from Sacramento to San Francisco, go hang out with his band while they had a rehearsal. And they rehearsed, and one of the guitar players left, you know, for the night. And they said, hey, you know why we asked you here? And I'm like, well, I just thought I was coming here to hang out with Darren. Like, no, we want you to join the band. I was like, whoa. And that was like, so it was just, you know, it was a kind of a, you know, lottery thing or something. It's like dream of a lifetime. Like I, I had bought Heathen's first record uh, growing up in, in the mid eighties. And uh, so I, I was very well aware of them and all that and stuff. So it was cool. And uh, we went back to Sacramento and I, I gave about a one day decision and I packed up everything I had, a guitar, this amp head thing that I had and a suitcase jumped on the Greyhound and went to San Francisco and never looked back. I like literally moved to San Francisco on a one day decision to join the band he then moved in with lee and his family lee's in exodus now so i lived with them for about eight months or something and you know we we, we did that for a couple of years i put out one record with them and you know did some touring and we had reformed in uh early 2000s for a few things so i ended up playing valken with them the valken festival and so that, that was like my first like oh my god moment like this is this, this could turn into something you know that's cool now how did the guys in heathen know about you well, the, the drummer uh, was a, a local musician around uh, Sacramento because we were both in Sacramento at the time. He, he was in a side project with Tommy Skio from uh, Tesla, the original guitar player. And uh, the singer of the, that band was uh, the singer in my band. You know, so we all used to hang out and stuff. We go to Tommy Skio's house and all that kind of stuff. So just kind of like that. And then the bass player of Heathen started coming from San Francisco and hanging out on the Sacramento scene a little bit. And, you know, I got to know him a little bit. So by the time I made it there, I kind of already, you know, knew, knew, knew a couple of the guys and stuff. So, yeah, I got you. Now, now how did you get involved with metal church? Well, you know, as you know, the nineties the weren't very kind to metal, you know, uh, you know, the nineties, you know, only a handful of bands were able to really keep it going. I mean, you know, I mean, Metallica, was barely hanging on for that matter. Cause you know, metal wasn't popular in, in, in a way that it used to be in the eighties, you know? So it was, yeah, no, I, I remember, I mean, it was the, uh, the Seattle grunge sound that was just kicking everybody at that time. Totally. I, I mean, even Anthrax got John Bush to sing for him and their sound turned a little bit different. They, they didn't sound grunge. They were still a metal band, but they definitely weren't like a thrash metal band anymore. They started to play a little more dirgy drop tune stuff. And uh, of course, Pantera, they, they kept going solid, you know, uh, throughout the 90s, but they had a different sound, too. They brought a, a new, you know, very awesomely produced sound and have a cool groove. They had a groove to them that no one else had, you know, and Phil started doing the Cookie Monster thing in a way where no one had done it. But uh, going into the end of the 90s, uh, I got a call. I'm trying to remember how I ran into them. Uh I think I played a show and I ran into Jeff Thorpe from Vicious Rumors at the end of the 90s. And, uh, he, you know, he, he had done a few tours in, in the late 90s. Uh, he had Steve Smythe from Testament in the band and Brian O'Connor singing. And uh, Steve left to join Testament. And then I got the call to come audition for Vicious Rumors. I would play open up for Vicious Rumors in about seven, literally seven different bands over the years. Uh, so I got to know Vicious Rumors a little bit on and off over the years. 
And uh, Jeff called me up. I ran into one point and he called me up. I gave him my number and he's like, Hey, uh, you know, Steve just joined Testament. We were looking for a guitar player. We're trying to finish this record. We got a bunch of stuff going on. This is in 1999. And we know metal was starting to kind of come back. You know, you had Corn, uh, Disturbed. These bands were starting to, you know, ruminate and come out. And, you know, it was a bit of a heavier sound. And metal was starting to kind of come back a little bit, you know. And then, of course, in Europe, the, the power metal thing really started to hit right around 99, 2000. So I joined Vicious Rumors. And then that led to a bunch of things. You know, I, I was with them for almost seven years and I started playing in a lot of different bands in San Francisco around that time. I was just very industrious at that point in time. Like at one point in time, I was in seven bands. Okay. And uh, I kept doing little tours and albums and I was just like nonstop music, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just go, go, go. So Vicious Rumors ended up getting on the Bang Your Head Festival and that that landed us the sabotage tour in two, January of 2002 in Europe. So I got to know the guys in sabotage. That was the same year they started Trans Siberian Orchestra. They started telling me about that before it even happened. And you know that became this huge thing. And I stayed in touch with Chris, and I saw Chris Caffrey put out uh, an ad or a, a press saying that he was going out to do a tour with his new uh, solo record, Chris Caffrey from Sabotage and Trans Siberian Orchestra. So I literally saw this on Blabbermouth and I had his number. So I called him, Hey, Chris, I just saw the, the thing, you know, you're going on tour and you, with your solo record, like you, do you have another guitar player? Cause he, he was singing lead vocals and he's like, well, kind of I'm dabbling with a few people, but I, I, I don't have anything solid. I'm like, well, I'd love to do it. So within two weeks or something, I'm flying out to New York to go play some warm up shows with him. While we're doing that, we, we, we do a handful of shows and all of a sudden he's like, dude, we just got the tour with metal church in uh, Europe, you know, coming up in the summer. And that was, you know, at that point it was probably, you know, a month away or something like that. So that put us on tour with metal church in 2005 in uh, Europe. And uh, at the end of the tour, okay. So check this out. I was playing in vicious rumors, metal church and with Chris Caffrey simultaneously. I don't know how you do that, man. That's just like way too much already. This was probably one of the most intense string of events uh, of my career. It, this has happened a handful of times. I mean, you know, for sure. But but this this was like the first major one where I was doing things that most of my friends and people around me were going like, how the heck are you doing this, man? This is like, no one does this. You're juggling on a level that's, you know, insane. So uh, Vicious Humors played at the Iron Fest in Milan. Okay. And then the next day we played a, a club show in Switzerland. Then we stayed up all night and drove back to uh, Milan. I got in an airplane, flew to Germany and had a show that night. First night of the tour with Chris Caffrey metal church. Wow. We, we do this whole five week tour, something like that. I have four, four and a half week tour. And then um, at the end of that tour, I got us a show metal church and Chris Caffrey at the bang your head festival as a warm up band. So we played the warm-up show at the club across the street. And then the next day, Vicious Rumors lands. And then I play a show with Vicious Rumors that day on the on the main stage at Bang Your Head Festival. Okay. Now, a week before that tour was over, Metal Church says, hey, Kurt Vanderhoof can't do this tour that's coming up in America right after this tour. Can you do it? So I have literally about seven days to learn their 18-song set. They're going on tour with Wasp, L.A. Guns, and Stephen Piercy. So I'm learning the Metal Church stuff. I do the warm-up show with Chris Caffrey. Then I play the next day with Vicious Streamers at Bang Your Head. And then I get on playing on Sunday. And then Monday, Metal Church picks me up in San Francisco. And we drive to L.A. And I play my first show that night with no rehearsal with Metal Church. 
Wow, man. And then, then we ended up tour for several months. But, you know, <laughs> you, you used to ask me, hey, man, what's wrong with your voice? I mean, that's what was wrong with my voice. I mean, when you, uh, uh, you know, when, when you run that hard and nonstop and, you know, I did drink back then, you know, and I didn't get a lot of rest. So, you know, that, that will tear away on your voice. I mean, look at Lemmy. No one ever asked Lemmy, hey, what's wrong with your voice? But guess what? He was drinking Jack every day, you know, 36, you know, 365 days a year. And, you know, that's what happens, you know, if you don't take care of your body, you know, and now I'm 11 years sober. My voice gets better every year. It's like better, better, better. So yeah, still the, the, the energy it took to pull that off is, is really amazing. Yeah. Totally. No, it it was the time of my life too. Here, hold on. Let, Let me plug this in real quick. Yeah. It's okay. Guys. Yeah. Let's pause the conversation there and We'll take a listen to these important words from the Rock Music Alliance and the RMA Awards for rock, metal, and prog music. Hey, I'm Cole Coleman, here to talk a little bit about the Rock Music Alliance. The Rock Music Alliance is an international organization of musicians, industry, and those of the public who are patrons of rock. Our main focus is to produce the RMA Awards for rock, metal, and prog music. And you can be a part of it all. When you join the Rock Music Alliance, you can send in music entries for yourself and your favorite established artists. And you get to vote in the RMA Awards. So join the Rock Music Alliance and be a part of it all. Don't wait. Be proactive. Join and vote. Go to rockmusicalliance.com. That's rockmusicalliance.com. Hey, this is Ira Black. Join the Rock Music Alliance. Yeah, so uh, as we were saying, you know, uh, having pushed myself so hard and stuff and not taking care of myself, even though I was vegan at the time, but I I drank a lot then, you know, because as you know, when you're touring a lot and traveling a lot, you know, it's like, even though there's a lot of fun and a lot of cool stuff that happens, there's also a lot of downtime. And for me, downtime became drinking. And then that folded while you're drinking in the morning, you're drinking after you're drinking night at the show and you keep going and you're not resting and then you're losing your voice. So having, you know, being 11 years sober now, my voice is really, you know, night and day compared to what it used to be. Claudio can tell you, he used to be like, Hey man, what happened to your voice? That'd always be his first, yeah, are you all right? You know, I mean, when, I, when I met him at the Rainbow, every time I see him, it's like his voice is like gone. Yeah, I'd be like, "Hey, man, what's up?" Hey, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that, that was, and I asked him, "What well, was wrong?" He said, "That's the way I sound." You know, <laughs> I'm like life. That's life. How did you get into Lizzie Borden? Okay, well, uh, after that's perfect time because after the Metal Church tour, uh, I was literally just. Um, filling in for Kurt Vanderhoof. This was not a permanent gig. I knew that going in. You know, I liked playing with them. I wish it would have been permanent, but you know, it's, you know, it's the way it goes sometimes. So I'd kind of, uh, I had a falling out with Vicious Rumors, having done all this other touring stuff. They didn't have anything going on, but it just didn't kind of work out. And Chris Caffrey kind of stopped doing his solo thing. You know, he decided to focus on Transory Orchestra and putting out solo records every once in a while, but he wasn't out touring and playing live and stuff. So I'd kind of run out the scene in San Francisco and, uh, I had, uh, I decided, uh, I had talked to Paul Shortino at some point about doing a record with him cause he had a studio in LA 
So I called him up and I said, Hey, uh, you know, when this tour ends, you know, I, I'm ready to jump into some new stuff, you know? So I, I came to LA and we had Patrick Johansson on drums and, uh, you know, so I ended up coming to LA and that's what landed me here. So I decided to move here after doing a record thing. I was back from San Francisco for several months. And then I said, like, okay, I'm moving to LA. I came here, started staying somewhere. And then about two weeks after moving here, uh, I got a call from a friend, Ray Freeman, uh, Andrew Freeman's brother, you know, Andrew yeah. things for last in line. And I was in several bands with him as well, but, uh, his brother, Ray Freeman was a tour manager for Chris Caffrey on some U S dates that we did. So I met Ray Freeman. He calls me up. Hey, uh, Lizzie Borden's looking for a guitar player. And I grew up listening to them. I bought, you know, some, uh, love you to pieces when I was like 14 or 15 years old, totally, you know, given the acts and all that, the EP as well totally familiar with him. It was actually one of my favorite bands as a teenager. And I said, Hey, this is perfect. I just moved to LA. They live in LA. And, you know, so I learned like four or five songs and I went and jammed with them. And it's a funny story because after I played with them, I started tearing down my equipment. Like I, I brought a, a half stack with me because I like to play through my stuff. We'll get into gear. I know, but, uh, I start tearing my stuff down and, and Lizzie walks up and he goes, uh, is everything all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm just, you know, packing my stuff up. And he goes, he goes, well, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you can leave it here because you got the gig. I mean, you know, I just finished all the touring with Wasp with Metal Church and Lizzie Borden. That's why they're looking for a guitar player at that point in time because they had a tour with Wasp coming up in two weeks. And I just got off the road with Wasp. So, so that was great. So I got that gig and then it, it just launched from there, you know, and ended up playing on uh, the appointment with death record, helping, you know, write a good portion of that. And well, so, so did, did you leave your half stack there? Oh yeah. 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 I, I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm good. I heard you got to do a track with drummer Vinnie Paul Abbott of Pantera. What was that like? Yeah. I mean, phew, I mean, it was a dream come true really, you know, um, I'd hung out with him a handful of times over the years and he was always really nice, really cool guy. You know, he was very personal, you know, he's definitely a, a guy that was good in the scene. You know, anyone who's met Vinny knows, you know, he's, he's a party guy. And he was like, you know, you talk to him and like, yeah, what's up, man. That's how Pantera was. And, uh, so, uh, let's see, uh, Paul Shortino and Carrot Top, the, uh, the comedian we're, we're talking about doing a song, to make the song for Carrot Top's intro for his Vegas show. And they wanted to do the song, Send in the Clowns. Paul had previously worked with me and thought, hey, I was good at putting arrangements go, just do the Send in the Clowns, that classic song, and make it a heavy metal song. So, you know, I was the perfect guy for the job because, you know, it's like, you know, who's going to turn a song into a metal song? Me. So, so I put the arrangement together and went to uh, Las Vegas to record it and, you know, it was a funny story because we were in the studios, really nice studio track records, I think, or hit, hit track, uh, some hit track studios or something. I can't remember. But, uh, all of a sudden we're sitting there and we're like, where's Vinny at? You know, it's like half an hour, hour, two hours. Like well, maybe he's not coming. We're calling. He's not, you know, and then all of a sudden this car pulls up and all these clowns get out clown faces, noses, hair, and clown outfits. And we're like, what the heck is this? And, Vinnie Paul shows up dressed as a clown to record Santa and Clowns with all his friends dressed as clowns. Wild, man. That, that's like, like a publicity stunt. <laughs> yeah, it, it was awesome. So he had all this makeup on, so he kind of took off the, the wig and stuff to record the drums. And so I'm like, okay, so th did you listen to the song at all? Like, do you know any of the parts, like the, what the song sounds like? He goes, oh, yeah, I've heard it before. <laughs> I go, okay. 
so we, we, we start, I start showing this, I'm going to teach him the song, the parts that the, the parts that I made, you know, this metal version of it. And then he's going to track the drum. So I show him the first part. Okay. Next part. I show him that we're jamming it. And we, part three, he goes, okay, let's record this. I go, no, 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 there, there's more. So, okay. There's this part goes like this and he's writing some stuff. Okay. I'll do this. Okay. Okay. Let's record it. No, hold on. There's more. He's, he's like, there's more. How many parts are there? I'm like, well, if you listen to the song, there's literally nine separate parts to this song. He's like, what? I didn't know that. So he starts oh, freaking out. He goes, can, can we shorten it? Can we? I go, once you hear it in its entirety, you'll understand. You'll get it. It's not that bad. You know, just so I show him the whole thing. He's like, wow. You know, so we got through it and recorded it. And, you know, it, it turned out pretty cool. You know, I liked it. Uh, you know, they did several different mixes on it, you know, and, uh, you know, that's, Another reason why, you know, I was like, man, I need to learn how to mix music because, you know, it's like when other people do it, your subjects are thing. And it turned out fine. You know, it's listenable. It's great. But, you know, now that I'm mixing music, I'm like, you know, it's like, I want to mix it all because I know exactly how I want it. You know it. exactly how you want it. I, I got you. Hey, hey, Claudio, do you know that song he's talking about? The, the original, you know, the uh, Send In The Clowns? I think, uh, yes, I know, but... You know, I don't yeah, uh, I, I think uh, Oppenheimer wrote, I think, if I remember correctly, but like Barbara Streisand did it. Yeah. Uh, Frank Sinatra did it. It's a very classic song. So of the current bands that you're active with, which I, I think was I Am Morbid, Lizzie Borden, and of Gods and Monsters. Now, you're not active with Dark, Squire, Dark, Dark Sky Choir? Everybody does that. Dark Squire. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not active with dark sky choir no mm, i'm sorry to hear that man not playing with i am morbid because i actually left i am morbid to play in dark sky choir and then the band folds a year later you know so that was a little bit disheartening but you know look when you've been around a long time uh, you know i've been in 80 bands literally that's the number i've been in 80 bands in my career okay so you know it might it might be a record ira yeah i i mean <laughs> it's uh that's just part of the thing sometimes you know and i i try and take my part in these situations too, but you, you guys have been in bands, you know, it's like, you can't, you know, look, if you're married to somebody, relationships are difficult. If you're in a band with three, four five people, you're married to those, you know, it's, everyone has an opinion, a perspective, you know, you're always changing members, all kinds of weird stuff happening. My but, problem uh, was that uh, I had to carry my keyboard. I have a Fender Rhodes, you know, the Fender Rhodes, the heavy one. Yeah. Yeah. I take it. I, I had like a one hour and a half, commute on a train and uh, take the bus with the with the fender roads yeah there's a handle and it's five different rehearsals with my it's like a heavy you know the fender roads is like a, the heaviest keyboard you ever can carry around apart yeah. from hammond but you know i did that when i was on my teens i was 16 and then i played i have like a six seven bands that I was playing yeah yeah it, 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 and then after doing that someone questions you and says are you sure you're dedicated to this? And you're like, yeah, <laughs> like you see me on the train with my Fender Rhodes buddy. I mean, it's like, you know, if that's not dedication, you know, I'm the only one that did that one. I think because the Fender Rhodes is like a heavy to carry. <laughs> yeah. It's too much. So, yeah, so I, I ended up, uh, you know, I played, uh, Lizzie Borden hadn't played in quite some time and he put out a new record. It was kind of a solo record in a way because he decided to, kind of take on all the songwriting and do his own thing. It's called Lizzie Borden, but the, the last record, uh, my midnight things is really a solo record in, in that he, 
you know, didn't bring in outside musicians. He played guitar on it and everything. And I, I wasn't technically a part of the band at that point. He had kind of disbanded or hadn't done anything in quite some time. So that's how Lizzie goes. You know, he goes in spurts and that's just the, the movement of his career. That's how, you know, he operates on his own timeline and, you know, most artists are like that anyways, but, uh, and, and, and I respect it. That's it, it, his thing and it's all good. But, uh, they, they brought me in to play the rock hard festival in, uh, in 2019. And I just joined dark sky choir and, uh, you know, we, we just decided, uh, to kind of part ways when, when he went on, uh, the, the U S tour, you know, I had a bunch of stuff going on at the time too. Uh, so I'm not playing with Lizzie Borden currently. You know, it doesn't mean I wouldn't in the future. You never know how things go. You know, I've been on and off with them for years. So I'm not technically playing with Lizzie Borden right now. I'm not in I Am Morbid right now. So I'm in Of Gods and Monsters. And really, that's my main band right now. So, you know, that's what I'm doing. Gotcha. Okay, so because my question was really getting to was, of all the bands that you're involved with, uh, which one which one do you get to do the most writing with? And so, so, but you're currently mainly with uh, of gods and monsters. So, do you get to? Is that you? Are we hearing Ira's writing at that point? Yeah, I mean, th- th- this record, I wrote all the music, all you know. So, wow, congratulations, man! Yeah, thanks. I mean, it, it was a culmination of a few few different things. I mean, like I said, I'm a very active writer. I've written a lot during the pandemic. I've always, you know, I have hundreds, if not thousands, of songs written, and uh, you know. I had written a bunch of songs for the new Dark Sky Choir stuff, and some of that stuff got transferred over to Gods and Monsters. So, so that was already primed, ready to go. And I was digging the style I was writing. It definitely has a Euro kind of heavy metal thing to it somewhat. Yeah, it's a little bit American, too. You'll, you, you guys will hear it. But uh, I had also gotten a call from Mickey D at the beginning of the year last year, the drummer who's now currently in Scorpion, so formerly yeah. of Motorhead and King Diamond. Good, yeah. good friend of mine. And uh, he asked me to write some songs for the Scorpions to demo some songs out. Hey, they were trying to, they were thinking about writing some stuff like Love Drive Blackout Era, and they wanted to go a little bit heavier, you know? And uh, so Mickey knows I do a lot of writing stuff. Him and I, you know, stay in touch a lot, and we've jammed together a lot and stuff. And he's like, hey, maybe you can put together a couple of songs, some ideas and stuff. So I put together five ideas. I recorded three of them. And uh, he was digging them. He asked me to change a few things I did, you know, and sent them back. And he's like, okay, cool. I'm going to pitch this. And then uh, when he got there into Germany for to start woodshedding and getting their ideas going, you know, he they told him, hey, this is going to be our first record in a long time. If we're going to go back to our roots, kind of like that, we're going to write all the stuff ourselves. So that kind of put my stuff like, no, it ain't happening. So I was like, you know. I mean, this is what happens, you know, it's the, it's the music industry. You, you do your best to uh, integrate w- whatever you can with people and collaborate. And if it works out cool, if it doesn't, you know, so two of those songs are going to be on the new of gods and monsters. I'm like, you know, what? I really dig this stuff and it fits along this style, you know? So, so you will hear two of those songs on the of gods and monsters records. Very cool. So uh, getting to a little gear talk, uh, what is your studio rig like? You know, uh, is there a particular guitar you like to track with? And, and where do you get your crunch? Oh, man. Well, I've really, as I said, you know, trying to crack the code, as they say in the studio. I mean, what we're all trying to do all the time, you know, it's like, how do you get that sound? Um, I'm definitely an experimenter. I, I get sounds in a lot of different ways. Um, what I'm currently using is uh, Logic Pro. 
I really like that one. Okay. I, I also dabble in pro tools as well, but logic's the one I go to. I, I like, uh, the programming that you can do with it. It's pretty seamless and the Apple loops are cool to work with and samples. I got a, I have a lot of plugins. Okay. I have a Kemper profiler. You know what that is? It's yeah, uh, yeah. the German profiling, uh, amp that I have the, the powered one too, that you can use to play live. So it has a power amp built in, but basically it's different than an axe effects and axe effects is a modeler. They use, uh, you know, technology to make sounds that sound like other things. Whereas the Kemper, you literally plug in another amp into this or put a microphone from your Kemper and you record the sound in from another amp. So these are actually real sounds coming from other amps. These are actual real amp tones that have either been recorded in, or you can plug in a chord and it will read the amperage of another amp and then it will basically use that, utilize that, you know? So now there's a thing called Rig Manager with Kemper, and that's a program that you uh, download and you run that um, in, in tandem along with your Kemper, which plugs into the computer, and rig manager, and now you can utilize not only the sounds that are in your Kemper to record onto the songs, but there's also a library and shared profiles, online shared profiles of other famous artists and different packs and stuff. So I can click on uh, you know, a Jeff Loomis pack and then his sounds that he personally you know, uh, recorded into Kemper, you have access to, and then you can record them right there. That's pretty amazing. It really is. So, so in, in comparing, I think you said uh, amp effects, right? Uh, or axe, axe effects. Yeah, yeah. Compared to axe effects, yeah. Yeah, uh, axe effects, which I think is amplitude, right? Isn't that the same thing? Or they, you know, it's. I, I, I'm together? not sure because I don't use axe effects, and it's not that I don't like it. I've just never, uh, you know, really gotten into it. Yeah, I was going to ask which one uh, compares. Which you know, which one would you prefer to, to record with? Sound, sounds like you do a lot of work with Kemper. Yeah, I, I think the Axe Effects, um, I think, I, I have a feeling because I haven't used it, but I know their sounds are more direct sounding. So in a way, this probably relates more to like using samples and stuff, because you know when you use loops and samples, how crisp and clear they are. You know, it's like, you know, if you record an acoustic guitar with a mic, well, you have to do a bunch of things to it to make it sound you know, a certain way. Whereas if you use samples, a lot of times you, you bring a, a, a sampled acoustic guitar, if you bring it in, it sounds instantly awesome. And they're like, it sounds like a keyboard, you know, you know, you know how keyboard sound Claudio, you plug it right in and the sounds are present, like right there, like, wow, you don't have to usually do a lot to them. Yeah. So the axe effects is similar to that. Samples, the, the quality is really good usually. Yeah. I, I think with the Kemper sounds, you know, just sounds more like a real amp in a lot of ways. You know, so, you know, yeah. you record and it sounds good, but you also have to, you know, utilize some of your plugins to, you know, make it sit in the mix the way you want as well. Probably, you know, takes maybe yeah. a little bit more work in a way, but, you know, that that's that goes back to the old school. If you like doing that, then, the, you know, it's the, the way you go, you know. And as far as guitars, you know, I'm, I'm sponsored by Dean Guitars for almost 15 years now. So I have a lot of different guitars. Um, you know, I, I, I really like, playing uh, live with the, the, the Dimebag Daryl guitars. Cause they're, they're just, they're ultimate metal guitars. You know, the, I have a dime explosion razor back with EMGs in it. And that thing is just, I mean, it's monstrous. Every time I 
play with that thing, people are always like, Oh my God, is that your guitar is going to kill me? You know, it's like, it's very ferocious looking and sounding guitar, you know? So there's no mistaking that. And when I'm in the studio, because I'm doing so many different styles, I'm using, you know, I'm using my, my, uh, uh, my, I have two Cadillac Dean Cadillacs, you know, and, uh, the, the black ones very similar to like a Les Paul and, uh, it has three pickups, you know, a three humbucker configuration. So there's a lot of variation. It sounds very thick sounding. I, I have a, uh, uh, Dean seven string, uh, that I use that it's really nice for when I'm doing like, you know, lower stuff in B. I like to do a lot of drop a, when I played in Westfield massacre, we, we had a lot of stuff where we played in drop a. So I have a lot of songs written in that style. It's kind of like doing the drop D on a guitar. You know, you drop the E down to D and you do a drop tuning. We'll do that with the seven string and do drop A. It sounds ridiculous to do that, but it's pretty awesome because now you got those drop tuning fingerings and that super low tuning adds a really nice character, like right out of the gate. All of a sudden you have this really thick sound, you know? Yeah, I got you. I got you, man. And uh, I, I got a... Uh, uh, last year for my birthday, Don Dawkins, thank you, Don, gave me a, a really beautiful Zematis acoustic guitar that he had. And uh, I've been doing a lot of recording to that. So I've been doing a lot of acoustic recording. I, and that's kind of my go-to because it just has a really nice sound. It's a really beautifully made guitar. And, you know, so I've been using that a lot. Yeah, it's uh, interesting you mentioned recording with the acoustic guitars because I, I see periodically companies really trying hard to put out a like an acoustic modeling type of guitar like i, I just saw a fender guitar a- advertised um where you know it's, it's a modeling guitar so it's it's a guitar but the electronics of it you can turn it and you know get very uh, different tones you know you know modeling on different guitars have you have you seen that one yeah yeah i have i mean that's what's cool about technology you know i think technology it's taken a long time to catch up. You know, I, I, I worked on the early Pro Tools when it first came out and stuff. And I remember how archaic it was. And they're like, oh, this is the future, you know? And it's like analog was still better back then. You know, was, you got a better sound. It was more convenient. You think the computer was, but it was like, it was crashing. It was slow, you know? And even for, you know, a good 20 years, it was like, okay, it's, it's, it's getting better, but it's still like, you know, there's glitches, there's problems, it's hard, you know, but I, I think we finally hit that point now where technology is really exploding in a way where like the options have become endless in ways we, you know, we can only, we could never imagine some of the stuff this, you know, these different devices they have for, I mean, there's a thing called Vocalia, okay? It's a microphone and you sing into it. And when you sing into it, it not only does the wave an actual sound but it, it does in, instant to midi it'll be about another 10 years ira and people will be it'll be voice modeling you know people will be singing to the mic and they'll just dial up who do you want to sound like today man barbara streisand you know <laughs> oh totally I, i'm sure they already have it i mean yeah, really where it's going is like i mean you know you, you'll think it you know you just put some electrodes up here and you'll be able to just to think a lot of it make this stuff happen probably you know that's one day, yeah, one day, I'm sure they will actually get there. You know, that, that does make sense. One day that'll happen. By the way, I have a, I, I got Don Dokken Mac, like it's like a G4. Yeah. He, he did uh, three albums with that thing, you know, like in, I'm talking about 2000, from 2000 to 2006. Yeah. Uh, I play a couple of them. Um, I have it now, I'm trying to sell it, it's like a, 
40 bucks. <laughs> I bought it for a thousand bucks from him, you know, and that, was, that was my first Mac. Is that one of those uh, silver towers? Yeah. Uh, I'll give you 50 for it. <laughs> it's pretty frustrating that, that the, the pace that things are upgraded in the computer world is great on one hand, but man, it's like it, it puts all the programming that you buy, you know, uh, it, it gets outdated so fast. What I always tell people is, you know, find something you like that's, you, you know, that you're comfortable with and, you know, just stick with that for as long as you can until you have kind of no choice but to change up. Well, that's cool, man. That's cool. Well, well, Ira, that does bring us to the end of our time today. Uh, it's been a heck of a conversation. I appreciate you hanging with us and giving us all this great stuff, you know, all the great info. Um, yeah, I want you to know the Of Gods and Monsters song, Song to the Dawn, uh, from the album Sons of Armageddon has been entered into the RMA Awards, and uh, which is underway right now, by the way. And so people listening, go to rockmusicalliance.com, join up, and place your votes. Ira, thanks for being here today, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's it for my time today with Ira Black. You can keep in touch with Ira and all things Ira Black at his official website, irablackattack.com. Visit thimbleslide.com for the guitar slide that frees your finger. It allows you to slide and fret while wearing it. And visit rockmusicalliance.com and join the Rock Music Alliance so you can vote in the RMA Awards. For the Rock Music Alliance, I'm Cole Coleman. Be well, stay well, and join the Rock Music Alliance. Music